So hello everyone and welcome to another Speaking Up and hi to you Jane. How have you been holding up with all this crazy heat this summer? Hi Sarah. Uh, many things. I'd say probably a lot of popsicles is the best answer. Um, how about you? <laughs> you and my nephews. You know I think I've been trying to take it easy in the heat. The weather has been so variable though um, but when it's on really hot days like today I try to do my activities early in the day especially watering my garden. It has been a challenge though, for sure. It really has, right from that second week in May where those temperatures were over 90 degrees. It, I would say it makes this discussion really timely today. It is, you know, I'm looking forward to diving in and I'll say first, so we don't forget, why don't we do our usual housekeeping? So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome. This discussion is gonna be pretty casual, so you won't see any charts or slides, but we'll be inviting you along the way to ask questions and share ideas and we'll look forward to having them be part of the conversation. Definitely, we'll be inviting you to put those questions in the Q&A box, just like normal. We also wanna say we think at this point, fingers crossed, that we have mitigated some of those internet connection issues that we were seeing early on in our Speaking of series. But just as a disclaimer, if one of us freezes or cuts out, just know we'll be right back. For sure. And to those of you who've joined in before, welcome back. We're glad you've returned for another conversation. Today, as you know, we're going to be talking about summer energy use and how all of this relates to how the grid works. But a good place to start might just be with some basic tips that anybody can do, whether you rent your home and we can scale up from there. Absolutely. And just like with other discussions too, Sarah, uh, we always wanna offer some actionable items for all of us as individuals. Very important also, though, to keep an eye on the larger systematic issues. So, you know, outside of my awesome idea to eat more popsicles, what other kinds of tips are we thinking? Well, you know, I'll say first off that I love the, or the reason I love you mentioning popsicles isn't just because my nephews have been eating them. It's mm -hmm. that we're going to be talking about tips that take a bit of the burden off the electrical grid, but taking care of yourself in high heat events is just as important. And not more so. And part of that is making sure you are staying cool and hydrated. And in fact, one of the tips we do have, um, or with the tips we do have, we want to be clear that we aren't saying you should just tough it out and sweat a bunch more. Things like adjusting your thermostat should never be done to the point where you might be putting your health in danger. Agreed. So we're talking about being smart with energy use, not trying to torture ourselves for the sake of a few kilowatts. And actually, Sarah, you and I have talked about this, we'd be poor ambassadors of energy efficiency and energy conservation if we didn't point out the many efficiency and conservation measures that can actually improve your home comfort, uh, not degrade it. So things like adding insulation to your walls, to your attic, uh, relatively inexpensive to do, and it really helps your home to stay cool in the summer and warm in the winter, just like you want it. That's true. That's true. So, you know, let's start with some of those basics. Chances are these are things that we all know to do to begin with. As we mentioned, you can adjust your thermostat to maintain a slightly warmer temperature in your home. I have to say, preparing for this conversation, I was a little surprised just how high the recommendation is. The Department of Energy recommends 78 degrees for when you're home and 85 degrees for times of day when you not, might not be in the house. You know, and then to supplement your air conditioning, you can turn on your ceiling fans or box fans to help keep air moving, which makes us feel cooler so we don't have to turn the thermostat down as low to feel comfortable. 
Yeah, and to help with that, one thing that I recently learned from you, Sarah, is that ceiling fans, uh, you know, set them to counterclockwise during the summer. That helps to pull the cool air uh, up from the ground to circulate it. In the winter, do the opposite. So, um, you know, the fan should be set to turn clockwise in the winter, which pushes the warm air down from the ceiling. So a really good, easy tip to remember. A lot of us have ceiling fans at home. Um, and of course, since we are talking about energy efficiency, energy conservation, making sure that we turn those fans off when we leave the room is very important. Uh, when we think of things like ceiling fans, uh, they're not actually cooling the air, they're just increasing the air circulation. So if you aren't in the room to feel the air moving, there's really no benefit to having that fan on. You know, my poor partner, I feel like I'm always saying that. In fact, when we were jotting out ideas for this conversation, I mentioned my catchphrase, fans cool people, not rooms. And uh, then we went home that evening and I found three fans turning in three empty rooms. So the struggle is real. Even people with the best of intentions can forget. You know, and to be clear, we are talking about a few kilowatts here or there with these fans. So it's important to keep these things in perspective. Those kilowatts do add up when we are all doing these actions together, but a slip up here or there is not going to bring the grid down. Just don't tell my partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Sarah, this feels like a good time to maybe ask our listeners a question. So what kinds of things are you doing at home uh, to save on electricity. They could be summertime related, they could be wintertime, any time of year. Um, you know, if we're thinking of summer, it's opening windows at night, drawing blinds during the day. So type in any of your tips that you have, um, put them in the Q&A box and we will read them aloud. Yeah, let's see what folks are doing. Well, it looks like we have shy listeners today. You know, sometimes it takes just a little bit to get the conversation going, you know? If there's nothing yet, that is totally fine. Yeah, you know, I'll say, you know, uh, one suggestion that came up as we were brainstorming ideas, it's not often one that um, I think of readily, mm -hmm. um, which I'm a little embarrassed to say, is just uh, maintaining your air conditioner and yeah. changing a dirty filter so it runs more efficiently. Now, maintaining your air conditioner, that's something that applies more if you own your own home, right? Bring somebody in to take a look at the air conditioner the same way you would bring your car in for a tune-up. They're both machines that occasionally need to have a professional look at them. But changing an air filter, um, some renters actually have access to the air filters for their uh, HVAC units as well. So whether you rent or own your home, that's one that's available to you. You just wanna make sure that you're putting the correct kind of filter in. And if you don't know what that is, um, you can ask your landlord if you're a renter um, or if you're a homeowner, usually the machine will have a book that tells you, a maintenance book that tells you what kind of filter you need. Or of course, you can always ask people at the hardware store. Yeah, that's a great suggestion, Sarah. And, you know, please keep in mind any of our attendees, feel free to continue to type things into the Q&A or chat and, and we can certainly integrate them into the conversation. But, you know, another one that would be worth mentioning here in terms of tips is the idea of running our dishwasher and washing machine at night. So this is something we have talked about in previous speaking of discussions. So this may sound familiar to some of our attendees today. 
doesn't actually use significantly less energy, but it does use it at a better time of day, especially during the summertime. Um, that's because the demand for electricity tends to be highest late in the afternoon and lowest overnight. So we get it. It's tempting when you get home from work to immediately turn that washing machine on or uh, that dishwasher on. But if you can wait a few hours, you'll actually be running it at a time when the grid has a little bit more uh, capacity, right? Um, and as we've mentioned before, wind energy is most abundant at nighttime. So here in Iowa, the cleanest energy available tends to be at night because we do have a lot of wind energy generation in the state. And this actually brings uh, up, you know, the conversation of the grid and how all this relates. So Sarah, do you think it's a good time to dive into the discussion of the grid now? Yeah, why don't we? You know, I was just thinking the other question that could be easily be asked here is why does this matter? Like we all lead busy lives. Why worry about turning the thermostat down or doing laundry at night? And why during the summer in particular? The answer to that leads to some pretty fascinating insights into how the grid works. But as we were brainstorming ideas for this discussion, you pointed out that the grid is one of those terms you hear a lot, but can feel pretty hazy in terms of what it actually is. So Jane, why don't we start there with the basics? What is the grid? It's not just the network of wires connecting things to power sources, which is the common assumption, I think. It's actually the entire system of energy generation, transmission, and electrical devices all taken together. So power plants, solar arrays, wind turbines, all the transmission lines and substations right down to your toaster. They're all part of this giant system we refer to as the grid. Sarah, I'm gonna challenge that. <laughs> So if we're talking about your toaster, right, um, and this is something you and I have talked about with my own household, what if it's not plugged in? Is it, if it's not plugged in, is it still part of the grid? I know, Jane, you are a hero for avoiding vampiric load. Thank you for keeping me on my toes. You're right. When your toaster is not plugged in, it is not part of the grid. But the minute okay. you connect it, it is. Because the grid is that interconnected system of things that produce energy and things that use it. And that's important to understand because one of the most helpful things to know about the grid is that it always has to be in balance. Just trying to understand that one fact helps you understand a lot of other things. So by balanced, you mean supply and demand, right? So electricity that gets produced has to be used at about the same time. And I, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, exactly. And okay. in fact, this blows my mind every time I think about it. The total time lapse between when energy is generated at a power station and when it needs to be used somewhere else on the grid is about eight minutes. Gotcha. I'm going to get a little technical here, so bear with me. We yeah. tend to think of electricity as like a string of electrons shooting down the wires, you know, pew, 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 that get consumed by devices at the other end. But electricity is actually better understood as an energy field that can grow or diminish in intensity, which is why the grid always has to be balanced. If you generate more electricity than you're able to use, it gets too intense and things like transformers and substations start to burn out. And if you don't generate enough electricity to meet demand, the system collapses. And the total amount of wiggle room we have to keep all of that in balance, the demand and the supply, is that eight minute window. It's really an engineering marvel when you think about it. Wow, it 
It really is, my gosh. And it makes uh, me think about all the discussion in recent years too about battery storage and the grid and how that's a new but very important technology. Uh, what we really haven't had in the past is a good way to store that energy on the grid to keep it balanced. Uh, so, you know, let's delve into that for a minute too. In effect, if there's more like, and I'm going to use my toasters example, so fair warning. Um, in effect, if there's more electricity on the grid than toasters at the other end, there is no way to store that electricity to use later and no backup if there were more toasters plugged in than electricity available. And this also, you and I had talked about this example as we were planning uh, this event as well, reminds us of that big power outage last winter in Texas when there was an un unexpected snowstorm caused you know, widespread electrical outages and it was incorrectly blamed on wind power. As we know though firsthand in Iowa, wind turbines have no issue turning and operating in the cold. They're still gonna be generating. But you know, in this case, the problem was all the increased demand from heaters getting turned on higher uh, than usual and not enough power to run them even with all generation options going full tilt. So the system had to be shut down to keep it from collapsing. Yes, exactly. You know, when parts of the system collapse, we're literally talking about costly mechanical failures that have to be repaired and may take many days, if not weeks, to do so. Of course, what we tend to see in the summer is a lot more energy usage from things like air conditioners rather than those heaters turning up in winter in Texas. Um, at the same time, summer presents some extra challenges because demand also increases from machines that have been running all along because most machines lose efficiency in the heat. And the grid itself is essentially a giant machine, so it gets a lot less efficient in the heat too. In fact, you know, as transmission lines heat up, like all things made of metal, they expand. So your electricity literally has to travel further to get to you. All this adds up to the grid having to work harder to get more electricity out there to meet more demand. You know, I, I'll say, Jane, I always feel it's really important to say in these discussions that you and I, we are not engineers. And so our understanding only goes so far. But even without an engineering degree, it's clear to me how balancing the grid can be a real challenge. I'm with you. Absolutely. Uh, it, it brings me back to you to the question about battery storage. So if there aren't batteries to draw on when there's extra energy needed, how do the electricity companies meet the increased demand? And I know I wrote down in my notes, you know, we were going to talk about how summer energy use relates to coal. I'm thinking this might be uh, it. Is that is that a correct hunch? It, you guessed it. Okay, <laughs> it's good. not just coal, though, to be fair. Basically, when okay. you have these big increases in demand, it becomes an all hands on deck situation. You have to tap into all of your generation sources. Mm -hmm. That includes using the full capacity of the wind and solar resources you have, but it also means firing up those coal generators. Sometimes you hear coal referred to as dispatchable energy for this reason. You know, yeah. when you get these spikes in demand, you can't necessarily dial up the sun or ramp up the wind, but you can, to some extent, it's a little technical, shovel more coal into the burner to generate more electricity. So as we've been transitioning to more renewable energy, coal and methane, which, you know, to call a spade a spade is what natural gas is, um, have been used to essentially top off the supply. 
of course, you and I and everyone listening in knows that comes at a cost to our climate and our environment, which brings us back to those batteries and why advances in that technology are so exciting. Hopefully, they will become the dispatchable energy in the future that help meets those spikes in demand, as opposed to coal or uh, natural gas. Yeah, and you know, to add to that, and why in the meantime, we talk so much about that energy efficiency and energy conservation, because anything that we can do to decrease those spikes in demand, make it easier to balance that grid. So it's important to consider that. It's funny too, though, it's feels like at the beginning of the pandemic when we were using the term flattening the curve. And that was to make it easier for hospitals to meet the demand for treatment. And really, that's not all that different from what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know what else can help balance the grid? Electric vehicles. So oh, yeah. often when we talk about batteries and the grid, we are imagining giant batteries the size of warehouses. But what if instead what we had were thousands of little batteries we touched on this a little in our previous discussion of EVs, but there actually is technology being piloted called vehicle to grid that would allow buildings to draw electricity from plugged in vehicles to help meet those spikes in demand. In fact, one of those pilot projects is taking place in Cedar Rapids with electric school buses. So it's really not as far off as it might seem. That's really cool about the school buses. You know, um, I. I think a lot about batteries too, Sarah, just because of our battery recycling program. And one of the things I know is uh, the exposure to high heat can sometimes shorten the life of a battery. I've also heard you say that a uh, solar panel is kind of like a battery turned inside out. Um, so I'm guessing that means like batteries, solar panels also lose some of the efficiency in the heat, which I could imagine would be another big challenge in the summertime. You are right. I do find it useful to think about solar panels as inside out batteries. And yes, you know, though they are designed to withstand high temperatures, they do also lose some efficiency when hot. This can be a little counterintuitive because it might seem like more heat means more energy to be harnessed. Um, the loss in efficiency isn't a huge amount. It's a decrease of about 10% or so, but it's worth keeping in mind because solar, like all other parts of the grid, is one more thing that gets strained in high heat events. So chances are good we are still going to be talking about ways to be mindful of our energy usage, even in the bright future ahead where all our energy demand is met by renewable sources. Yep. I, I know there's one other piece of technology that we want to talk about today, and that's heat pumps. Uh, but before we delve into that, this feels like another good time to pause, see if there are any questions that we can answer. Um, if you're listening in and have a related question, go ahead and type it in and we can certainly get that answered. Otherwise, keep in mind, you know, we're going to be on here for a bit still. So if there's other questions that come up, just add them as you have them. Yeah. And it doesn't look like we've gotten any comments already, but I agree. I think this is a really nice time. We've been covering some sort of technical stuff. Um, it's a good moment to pause and see if there are any questions out there. So uh, feel free to add those to the Q&A box and we'll keep our eye on it. Okay, Sarah, drum roll. <laughs> heat pumps, tell me about them. Or, yes, yeah. heat pumps. <laughs> yeah, so what, what are they and how do they fit into this discussion? Well, you know, heat pumps are an incredibly efficient technology that can be used to heat or cool your home. And when we look at things that are really going to make a difference in driving down emissions, heat pumps are right up there with electric vehicles is one of the key technologies we want to see widely adopted. Mm -hmm. um, in a nutshell, 
Heat pumps capture and pump heat from one area to another, hence the name. In this case, they're capturing heat from inside your home and pumping it to outside to help keep your house cool. And they also work in reverse, which is the cool thing. So they can pump heat from outside your home to inside, even in the winter when it doesn't feel all that warm out. There's actually a fair amount of heat in, in the, um, I don't know how to explain it, sort of in between the molecules in the air and heat pumps can grab that. It turns out that moving heat from one place to another takes far less energy than creating heat and moving it around. Wow, so it's sort of like your refrigerator. It captures heat from inside the fridge, moves it to the air outside, which is why if you put your hand over the top of the fridge, it oftentimes will feel warm. Uh, but inside the fridge is cool, just exactly how we want it to be. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I have a friend who starts garden seeds and trades on top of a refrigerator for exactly that reason, to make use of that waste heat. That feels like an ener energy efficiency bonus to me, making use of heat that would otherwise, you know, not get used. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Sarah. But you know, you're exactly right. It, it's essentially heat pumps and refrigerator. It's essentially the same technology. It's just sized up to help you heat or cool your home. It sounds new and science fiction-y, you know, pulling heat from the air and maybe unfamiliar, but in fact, it is technology that has been around for decades and has been steadily improving. I actually have a heat pump system for my house and I love it. It works to heat my home in the winter and cool it in the summer. And it's a big thing that helps keep my energy bills down all seasons. Boy, that's great. So in this discussion today, why is now a good time to be thinking about getting a heat pump? Well, you know, I think it has something to do with the name heat pump that for a long time, it seemed like winter was the natural time to think about getting one. But in fact, summer turns out to be a really smart time. I mean, basically, that's because if you have to replace your central air unit at some time this summer, a heat pump really doesn't cost all that much more than a central air unit, and it can sit on the same footprint. You know, it even looks largely the same. When I had a friend who was interested in heat pumps come over to my house and take a look at it, I pointed it out to her and she said, well, that's your air conditioner. Where's the heat pump? And I said, that is the heat pump. Um, but if you go with a heat pump instead of an air conditioner when you go to replace it, when winter comes, it will also help heat your home. And that means your furnace won't have to turn on as often. So we're not talking about replacing your furnace right away. You can just replace your AC unit and then you get this extra bonus where it saves you more money come winter. And then someday down the road, when the time comes to replace your furnace, you can put in something smaller and more efficient that just supplements the heat pump. So you are really setting yourself up for some long-term energy savings. Wow. I next When I come over to your house, I'm going to have to get a tour of this heat pump. <laughs> um, you know, we've been ending and we're, we're slowly wrapping up, speaking of, but uh, we've been ending with a fun fact lately, and I feel like that might just be it. Get a heat pump this summer, reap the extra rewards when winter rolls around several months down the road. It has been a very efficient conversation on a lot uh, of levels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has been. So um, why don't we check the Q&A box one more time, see if there's any questions that have come in. Some folks might have some things they want to ask about heat pumps too, so feel free to put those in the box if um, there's any curiosities there. Yeah, and I see Virginia actually has put something in. So thank you, Virginia. 
Um, she's asking, are we saying that appliances should be unplugged when not in use? And, you know, that's a really interesting question, Virginia, one that Jane and I talked about a lot, because yeah. as you might have guessed, Jane unplugs her toaster. <laughs> and I have to yeah. confess, I do not. I'm Jane, really you want passionate to take about one? it. And Sarah and I had a full discussion <laughs> on it. Um, do you want to tackle that question, Jane? I see. You know what? You go ahead. You were already on a roll. Oh. Um, well, the short answer is it doesn't hurt to unplug your appliances. Um, and in fact, if you haven't done this already, you know, our uh, energy provider, MidAmerican, will send you um, an energy efficiency kit. And one of the things it includes is this amazing power strip that's designed to defeat vampiric load so that you're not having to unplug all of your devices at once. It's actually set up in such a way so that You've got your TV plugged into a specific slot and then your DVD player and maybe your sound system plugged into others. And if your TV isn't on, it automatically cuts electricity to all those other devices. So it's cutting down on that vampiric load, which is a kind of fun term for um, appliances that draw energy off of the grid, even if they aren't using it. So one of the things Jane and I um, were talking about as to why she unplugs her toaster and I don't, other than I'm just a tiny bit lazier than Jane, um, is that some of the guidance I've gotten is that if you touch the plug and you feel a little warmth or you touch the device and you feel a little warmth, that wasted heat is telling you that that device is pulling energy off of the grid. So I think of things like cell phone chargers as an obvious example. When you put your hand on the little cube that's charging, you can often feel a little heat or the same with um, computers. When you plug them in, you can feel a little heat on the, on the box that plugs in. Um, those are very clearly drawing energy, even when you're not using them. So those would be the top devices to prioritize unplugging. Things like toasters are still going to be pulling a little bit of electricity off the grid. But you know, when you touch that toaster plug, it doesn't feel warm in the same way, which tells you that the electricity it's drawing is pretty minimal. Um, and that's one of the reasons I opt to leave mine plugged in, though, in all honesty, it probably wouldn't hurt to unplug it. So that's a great question. Thanks so much for bringing it up, Virginia. Yeah. Do we have any other questions out there that we could be answering? Well, I'll also add to that, Sarah, uh, you know, everything you just described, sometimes you hear it called vampire energy. Sometimes you hear it called phantom energy. It's the same sort of term though, to what uh, Sarah just described. Yeah. And it's also, you know, a great example of what we were talking about at the top of the hour that all those little kilowatts here and there maybe don't make a difference to our individual households. Mm -hmm. um, but when we're all doing it together, when we're all joining Jane and unplugging our toaster, it, eventually it adds up to some real cost savings for the whole grid. Yeah. Well, we see that across the board with sustainability too. We could, we could talk about that with riding the bus or riding your bike or uh, reusing a water bottle, but you know, anything collectively can make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great question. Uh, I, I don't see anything else coming in right now. Um, so I will say for any of you um, that have joined us for other speaking of discussions, you know, the other thing that we like to do is offer additional resources if you want to learn more. Um, so to those that are joining in today, everybody that's registered, um, when we send out the recording of this discussion to you all, we'll also include some useful links, including a page uh, on the Department of Energy website with a bunch of tips about ways to save energy in the summer. 
You know, and we've also got a recording from a presentation we hosted earlier this year from a heat pump expert um, mm -hmm. that we brought in to talk to local contractors um, just so that they could have the most up-to-date information on the technology. So it's a great deep dive for anybody who wants to get a little nerdy and know a lot more. Um, and we also have a podcast episode we can share this time with more information about the grid. So you don't just have to take it from Jane and I, you can uh, hear someone else talk about how all this stuff works. Lots of fun stuff to listen to and learn more about. Yep, lots of fun stuff, I agree. And if we didn't get a chance, you know, if, if you think of a question after today, uh, Sarah and I will follow up via email. So feel free to reach back out to us if there's any other questions that you have. Absolutely, you know, we love answering those questions. Speaking of which, um, what are we talking about next time, Jane? Uh, I think that we're gonna be covering uh, a, it's going to be a discussion related to greenwashing, and we're, uh, I believe, going to be holding that discussion on August 15th. Mm. Ooh, I like this idea. Could this be related to the certified plastic neutral label that you and I were discussing recently? I think it could. Ooh, I hope so, and I hope we'll see many of you back then. You know, thanks to each of you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. Have a good day.